This editorially independent podcast is supported by Visit Flanders. But that means that all these farmers, the 50, 60 guys that are growing Brussels Whitloaf, probably don't have kids who will take it on. They don't have kids for sure to take it on. So that means in another generation we don't have any Grand Whitlow farms? Yeah, I doubt it. I don't have a glaze bowl. But do, do you believe in your heart of hearts that it, it won't exist anymore? I think, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to exist. It's still going to exist within 15 years. Are you telling me there's a possible future where there is no Whitlow growth in Belgium? I think there is a bigger possibility that it's going to disappear than it's going to stay. In English, Whitloaf is Belgian endive, sometimes also referred to as chicory. Translates into French as chicon, but it's best known in its native Flemish Brabant as Whitloaf. Literally, white leaf. It's a unique vegetable in its appearance. A torpedo head of tightly packed white leaves, which have a slightly bitter taste and which offer various culinary opportunities. Unlike most other vegetables, however, it has to be grown twice. Once to extract the root from the seed and the second time to force the root under cover of complete darkness to develop its distinctive pointed cigar shape. There are several stories about the discovery of Whitloaf. The most likely takes place in the winter of 1834 when Franz Brezier, the head gardener at the Brussels Botanique in Scarbeek, was said to have thrown unknown roots that the institution had received for scientific experiments on a pile of earth in the Botanic Garden covering it with a layer of loose soil so the garden looked tidy. A few months later he came across a small white point poking out from the ground and when he removed the soil he saw that it had developed white leaves shaped into a point. Noticing that the special crop liked darkness, warmth and humidity, Prezier took the other roots in the pile and put them in his cellar, covering them with a layer of soil so they wouldn't dry out. After the winter he dug up the roots again to discover that they all boasted a white foliage. He tasted them, and the rest is history. Whitloaf heads are versatile in cuisine. When raw, they're crisp and bitter, making them a great addition to salads. Their long, cupped leaves are often used as small serving platters for cheese and nuts, sprinkled with herbs and drizzled with vinaigrette. They provide the bitter backbone to sweeter salads, containing plums, apple and lemon honey dressings. Very commonly, they're served with mayonnaise in accompaniment to steak. When cooked, the sharper flavours of Whitloaf soften into like a mellow, nutty sweetness, most often seen in dishes such as braised Whitloaf or rolled in ham and covered with a creamy sauce with gratin dauphinoise. That's a dish that's called Hesperologus. Whitloaf is also incredibly nutritious. It's low in calories and sodium, but it's rich in vitamins, minerals and fibre. Belgians are proud of their Whitloaf. 
perhaps because it mirrors the qualities of their national character. It's from the soil, as the Belgians kind of keep their feet on the ground. It's difficult to grow, just like the Belgians are stubborn. And it's unlike any other vegetable, just as the Belgians are quite unique. The vegetable appears in dishes not just in fancy restaurants, but in village corner brasseries and family homes. Belgian chefs such as Rune Moos and Peter Hosens wax lyrical about Whitloaf in their books and TV shows. Its roots have traditionally been used to produce a chicory coffee in Belgium. There's a Whitloaf festival in the Belgian town of Haren, with exhibits on farms, on the serving of dishes and even a chicon run. Between 1954 and 1977, there was an annual Miss Whitloaf competition in Belgium. There's a beer company located in Brussels called Brasserie Whitloaf. And Brauerei Hoftendormal used the root of the vegetable to enhance bitterness in one of their beers, a Belgian ale of 8% called Witgold or White Gold. There's even a, a Whitloaf museum in Gampanoot. But the very existence of Whitloaf is under serious threat. In 1975, it was the most grown vegetable in Belgium, making up a quarter of all vegetables grown in the country. Now it makes up just 2%. In 1975, there were 4,822 farm holdings in Belgium producing Whitloaf. Now there are less than 250. Now, there's, there's loads of parallels with beer here and losing traditions forever. Many farmers, scientists and traders believe that in as little as 20 years, Whitloaf will not exist at all. How can that be so? Is that real? Like, how can a vegetable that the Belgians love just disappear? And what are people doing to fight for its survival? I'm Brendan Kearney, and you're listening to the Belgian Smack Podcast. Part one. Seeds. Do I need a jumper? Uh, maybe if you go outside because it's still raining. Yeah. You have a coat, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm with Jana Cornelis. I'm here to find out about Whitloaf. I can show you the forcing installation. Okay. Jana is a researcher at the Nationale Proeftuin voor Whitloaf in Herent. The Nationale Proeftuin voor Witloof is the national testing garden for Witloof in Belgium. It's a government-funded research centre for Witloof. If the town of Herent is the vegetables kind of blast zone of farms, then the Proeftuin, with its research projects and its informational resources, yeah, is Witloof's ground zero. We grow here. At the moment we are testing some sensors from the Kei Leuven uh, to measure the pH, and to see if there's a difference between uh, the tree above and the tree below. Whitloaf farms are disappearing every year. 
the time and labour intensive nature of traditional ways of producing the vegetable and the plummeting prices in retail have made it unattractive to younger farmers. Aging growers are retiring en masse. The capital costs associated with recent more technologically advanced methods of growth are prohibitive. I can also show you some chicory. We live in a field here. It's a, another project where we want to look into the use of irrigation uh, in Wittlof. Two years ago, Jana worked on a project to establish as diverse a collection of Wittlof heritage seeds from Belgium as possible. Plants from the Brussels Grond Wittlof here. See if he can get in. Uh, They look like that. Whoa! <laughs> That's not weird, though. No. So that is a root planted in the... What's that? ...soil for the second time. That's Whitloaf? Yeah. This flower? Yeah. No. So if you leave the, the Whitloaf plant on the field, in the second year it will look like this. Wow. And That's completely... That's, that's a beautiful... Yeah. It's like a turquoise purple, blue color of flower. Yeah. And that's how the, the farmers produce their own seeds. So from the flower they take the seeds? Yeah. It's quite a beautiful plant. Yeah, nice color. color. Yeah. In her job at the Proeftuin, Jana is hoping that she can help fight for the future of the vegetable. These are farmers predominantly in this region of Belgium, which is Vlaams Brabant, the region around Leuven. Yeah. Um, and they're so they're, they're planting their seeds in their fields for Wittloof. Mm -hmm. Are those seeds that they're getting from previous crops or are they commercial seeds or, or where are they sourcing those seeds? Now there's a bit of a division. So um, there are farmers who use the, the hybrids, so seeds that are provided by the, the breeding companies. Um, but then there are also farmers um, from the Brussels Grondwittloof um, who use their own seeds. So each year they select the best the roots that give the best um, heads and plant them in the field. And then next year they can harvest um, the seeds from these plants themselves. So they're looking at the heads of the previous batch for quality. Yeah. And they're saying, right, these guys are good. If we want more of this, we're going to take those seeds and plant yeah. that again. They want the seeds from uh, the uh, these roots. So they plant the seed and what are they, you know, what are they given um, once the, the, the crop comes up? So once you plant the the Whitloaf seed, what what? Is so it you plant the seeds, and then you have what? Do you you have um, a flower? Is it a plant with green leaves? What what, what comes? No, when you plant the seed, so really the seeds in the field, um, you get a a green plant with a with a thick taproot, it's called, um, and big green leaves, and then you harvest that plant, cut off the leaves. And then that root is used to, to grow the chicory, the wheatloaf. So you only need the seed for the root? Yeah. And the the leaves that you, because you, you know, are these quite big leaves that come? Mm -hmm. The green leaves on the field, yeah. So, so they're useless? Yeah, they are not used for anything. So what, what happens with those leaves? Uh, nothing. <laughs> they're just waste? Yeah, indeed. So that means that the farmers then harvest the uh, root and leaves. They take the root. Yeah. They cut off the leaves. And those are waste, and then they bring the roots for the next stage. Yeah, and then the roots are cold stored for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. So how long does the first stage take from seed to leaves? 
Um, we start sowing in April, May, and then the, yeah, from September to November, um, we harvest roots on the field. So then you bring this um, root. Um, what does the root look like? Is it kind of a, like a, th- a thick stalk? It's a, a, th- a thick root from, I would call, say, four centimeters um, and a brown root. So that goes into these cold storage chambers? Yeah. Which are dark? Yes, yeah. And so how, what do the farmers do then with, with the... So after the roots are stored, they, they can be put in the soil to uh, grow the wheatloaf heads or they can be put in water to grow the wheatloaf heads. And so that's a, that's a kind of a differentiation in, in production. Yeah, indeed. So um, nowadays we have the, these two production systems, but um, in the past there was only the soil uh, wheatloaf. And what, so you have soil and water, rond and hydro. Yeah. What do the um, rond farmers think about the hydro farmers? <laughs> That's a bit sensitive. Um yeah, you need really to see it as two different things, actually, because the, the ground farmers, it's more labor intensive. But yeah, the, the hydro farmers, they have mostly bigger companies, uh, bigger farms. Um, yeah, they, they, it's difficult to say because it's a bit sensitive for farmers. Of course. Yeah. Um, if you grow soil wheatloaf, you really need to get on your knees to put on the uh, to put uh, the roots in in the soil. Um, yeah, it takes longer to do that than to put them in the in the hydro or in the water, in the water. So, so we're in this dark room. Mm-hmm. You you plant the the roots. Um, what does that look like? And yeah, I mean, what happens after that? So in the water uh, wheatloaf, it's just trays above each other. Um, so you, and in the soil is, um, yeah, you have a big open space where you put in the roots. So you need a lot of space also if you will want to grow the soil uh, weekly off. And so, so then you have the roots that are all beside each other in the soil or in, in these hydro trays. Mm-hmm. Um, and what comes up is like, a, I guess it's like a, a kind of a, a white-leafed rocket head type shape. Yeah, yeah, that's a good description, yes. Um, yes. Why is it white? It's white because it's uh, produced in the dark. If you if you would do it in the light, you will get green leaves. And that's not what we want. We want really the, 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 the white um, head. And why is that not desired? Why not have a green-leafed Whitloof? I think, but I'm not really sure that it also influences the taste um, if you would add some lights. So it's it's also to do with the um, yeah the, the appearance. Yeah, and also if you add lights, um, the leaves will not grow really uh, in the in the vertical direction. Yes, um, but they will look more like real leaves and not like the chicory heads you you know. So they'll be more similar to the leaves that grow in the first stage where they're just coming yeah, out rather than yeah. up like a rocket. They will grow in all kind of directions and not just up. The project I was working on back then was actually already written. 
when I got here. So my, my interview for the position was with our director and with um, Bram van der Poel from the KU Leuven. So, so you were coming into this project essentially? Yeah. And when you started working here, that, that was what you were starting to work on? Yes. So can you remember when you first met Bram? Yes, that was during my uh, interview. Um, I thought he was really nice um, and really interested in the in Witloof also. Um, yeah, because it's a small part of Belgium agriculture, but he, he really wanted to do some research uh, on the product. So what was the what were the goals of the project? Um, so the project was about a soil um, Witloof and then especially the type of wheatloaf um, from the farmers who produce their own seeds. Um, because these farmers, yeah, the soil farmers, as a, the, the production of the, the soil wheatloaf is very labor intensive and yeah, they have a certain age already. Um, there are a lot of farmers who, who want to stop or, or will be quitting uh, with the chicory in a couple of years. But when they do, um, their heritage varieties will also be lost because they will not um, select each year the, the, the good crops and produce new seeds. No, they will just stop with it. Um, and we want to um, store these heritage varieties so they will not get lost. So so it's basically, in a way, safeguarding, you know, that heritage of, of grond Witloof production. Yeah, indeed, yes. I mean, if you compare the grond Witloof guys to the Hydro guys in terms of the, the seeds they're using, the grond Witloof guys are choosing what their farms delivered on the previous crop, therefore kind of creating a more unique, you know, um, uh, product and maybe also with more diversity in, in terms of what's yes. being delivered, whereas... So what are the what are the hydro guys using? So the hydro guys and also some soil farmers, like um, it's called the Brabants Grondwitloof, they use the hybrid seeds. Um, that are seeds that are produced by the, the breeding companies who sell them, the seeds to them. Um, they have an advantage, these seeds, because, yeah, you know, the production is higher, um, but also, yeah, you know that each crop... Each uh, chicory head will look almost the same as, as the others. So you have less uh, varieties between the, the chicory heads. So you've got grondwitloof, that's traditionally grown in the soil using seeds the farmers have generated themselves. Then you have hydrowitloof, hydroponically grown in water trays using hybrid seeds basically ones purchased from a seed breeding company which had been genetically engineered. Now, tensions arose between Grond and Hydro in the 1980s. The Grondwit loaf growers were working seasonally, as they've always done, whereas the Hydro Whitloaf growers could produce Whitloaf all year round in their dark warehouses and hydroponic trays, Suddenly, retailers and supermarkets were buying only from hydro growers because of the stability of year-round production. Consumers often preferred traditional grondwitloof to hydrowitloof for its quality and for its story, but they were often not made aware of what they were buying. In supermarkets, the prices of witloof fell dramatically, as hydrowitloof could be offered at much lower prices given its larger-scale production, its quicker cultivation and its less demanding labour requirements. Such was the demise of Grondwitloof at the hands of Hydrowitloof 
that a group of 250 Grondwitlow farmers got together to try to do something. They felt that if they could convey to the consumer how different production of Grondwitlow was to hydro cultivated Whitloaf, that they could ask for higher prices and thus save their livelihoods on the heritage of Grondwitlow. They successfully created a brand, Brussels Grondwitlow, for which they secured a European protected geographical indication, a label which is awarded by the European Union to protect the names of special agricultural products that are linked to like a specific territory or an authentic production method. So here's where you have to pay attention, okay? Another label, Belgian rather than European, Brabant's Grondwitloof, was created for those growing in the soil but using hybrid seeds instead of their own heritage seeds and whose farms did not meet the geographical requirements of the the EU mark. So the labels Brussels and Brabant's meant that Grondwitloof growers could legally differentiate themselves with consumers from Hydro. But of course, tension started to arise between the Brussels and the Brabant's farmers as well. Let's focus for a minute on Brussels. The most important criteria to produce Brussels Grondwitloof, according to this label, is that it should be grown in the soil, the Whitloaf heads completely covered by earth. It also needed to be grown in its traditional heartland, a specified geographical region in the Brussels-Mechelen-Leuven triangle. Furthermore, the seeds used to generate the roots for forcing needed to be selected and grown up from previous yields by the farmer, essentially creating a natural selection which promotes biodiversity, genetic strength and heritage varieties of Grondwitloof. It's these Brussels Grondwitloof seeds that Bram van der Poel and Jana Cornelis hope to collect and to protect. So you have the, the Brabant grondwitloof, uh, and they use the hybrid seeds, so seeds provided by, by uh, breeding companies. And the Brussels grondwitloof, um, they, they use their own seeds. So they select each year the best crop and then uh, produce seeds from them. So within the, the grondwitloof category, there are... The Brabant's guys who, they're using hybrid seeds. That's yeah. mostly, that's from breeding companies essentially. Yes. So so the, the Brussels Grondwitloof guys are the most... Most traditional. Most traditional. Yes. So they're the, the traditional wing of the traditional mm-hmm. organization. Yeah. So they must have quite strong personalities. To, to, kinda, yes, to, to maintain that, you know, and to do something that's so difficult and time consuming mm-hmm. and labor intensive and not profitable. Yeah, I think each farmer is proud of his work, but they are also really proud of the the tradition they, they use in their um, production. So it's I think it's important that the people who buy the, the uh, Wheatloaf know what the difference is, difference is, because it's not really known by a lot of people. Um, if you go to the supermarket, you, you don't get uh, the explanation from what is Brussels Grondwitloaf or what is Brabant's Grondwitloaf. Um, you just see Grond Whitloaf. Yeah, and some people might just see Whitloaf. Yeah. Jana and Bram worked on storage methods and data collection. They would store the seeds in liquid nitrogen at the KU Leuven. But they needed to get the word out to farmers so that there would be some seeds to collect. 
So we have a newsletter that we publish every month or so. So I made an announcement in that newsletter to to announce a project to the farmers so they, they get to know the project, uh, what the goal was. Um, and then were, there were a lot of farmers who con contacted me. Um, but we also had an interview with uh, VRT, so it's a big news um, And was that something that you asked for? How did you generate that? Um, so VRT are like a, a big news station in Belgium. Yes. And it, it would be on national television, essentially. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, did that, that prompted people to come to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the project was on the national news. It was covered in national broadsheets and in publications in Dutch, French and English. The Standard, het Nieuwsblad, Gazette van Antwerpen, Leuven Actueel, Flanders Today, het Journaal and Bruce. Jana also did interviews on national radio. For perhaps the first time, mainstream Belgian journalists wanted to talk about Whitloaf seeds. Witloof dus, echt Vlaams erf, erfgoed, maar echt grondwitloof, dat wordt uh, zeldzaam. En om die waardevolle teelt voor de toekomst te bewaren, is er nu een uh, bijzonder onderzoek aan de gang. Dat staat uh, onder meer in Gazet van Antwerpen vanmorgen. Jana Cornelis, goedemorgen. Goedemorgen. Uh, u werkt voor de KU Leuven en u bent op dit moment witloofzaad aan het uh, verzamelen bij oude telers. Vertel eens. Ja, dat klopt. Uh, ik werk voor de Nationale Proeftuin voor Witloof in Herend. En samen met de KU Leuven hebben wij een project opgestart om een zadenbank op te stellen, uh, om uh, onder andere witloofzaden van grondwitloof um, te verzamelen. So, I guess you're on national television. Your family and friends see it on TV. Mm -hmm. Do you get lots of WhatsApp messages? Yes. <laughs> What did they say? Well, I didn't tell it to many people because, yeah, it was a bit embarrassed to see myself on TV, but they were proud and also really interested in the project because... People know uh, Witloof, but they don't know how it's produced. And so I think my family and friends were yeah, really interested, thanks to the program. Yeah, so you got, you got a lot of messages. Yeah. It's really odd to see yourself on TV um, and to hear yourself talk. And then, yeah. yeah. But I, I'm glad we did it because, yeah, we got a lot of attention that way. So. Yeah, it was good for the project. Mm -hmm. So the Belgian public were fascinated. Witloof was part of their national heritage, but many Belgians had no idea that the vegetable was in danger of disappearing. Jana and Bram's project had tapped into a nerve in Belgian culture, and now they hoped that growers all over the vegetable's home in the province of Flemish Brabant would get in touch. Perhaps their collection would be valuable. Maybe Witloof could be saved after all. But then, they discovered something. Something that threatened to derail the whole project. Yeah, a couple of years back, um, really a long time ago actually, um, the Nationale Proeftuin for Witloof and the KLF had also an, a seed bank uh, of chicory, of Witloof. But that disappeared or is given away, taken away by a seed company. Um, so that seed company had all the, the seeds from the, the local farmers from the Brussels Grondloof, Witloof, for which they really had to work, the farmers. And then it was just gone to a seed company so it was not easy to convince and was that something that you knew about or something you discovered when you went to speak to the farmers um i only discovered it through speaking with the farmers and 
there's that sort of, I guess, there was a kind of a level of, of you know, distrust or mistrust then about, you know, handing over something which is part of their livelihood mm-hmm. and part of their family heritage. Yeah, and especially because it was handed over to a seeds or breeding company who could make profit from it, from it. Because in these heritage varieties, there's, there's a lot of genetic diversity because each year they select the best um, chicory heads. So the breeding company can really use these seeds. They are really interested in them. Do you know which breeding company it was? I think it was Enza. They Enza. don't focus on. They don't do Witloof anymore. It's a it's a Dutch seed yeah. company. Were 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 there people that kind of when you went around to try to arrange collection of these seeds that said, you know what, Jana, you could go fuck yourself. Yes. Not in that words, but yes. Yes. Yeah, from the farmer's point of view, you can understand why they're resistant. Mm-hmm, yeah, of course, because yeah, they put, on, put in a lot of work. It's mainly also a fa- family tradition. Um, their fathers, fathers, grandfathers also use these seeds. And when then it's just given away to a breeding company, I understand that's not, not what they want. Because I also want to protect the, the, their varieties. I, I don't want to give them away. Basically, 40 years ago, a similar project organised by Kau Leuven had attempted to create a seed bank for heritage seeds. Those seeds had been given to a large Dutch seed breeding company called Enza. And Enza had used those seeds to produce hybrid seeds for commercial gain. Most of the farmers had lived through this and were now reluctant to give their heritage seeds to Jana and Bram. So Jana and Bram now had a seed bank with no seeds. And there was a ticking clock on the chance to stop Whitlow from disappearing from Belgium forever. Part two, the root of the problem. And are you growing other things? Or, or just, it's just grown wheat loaf because it's such a huge uh, demand of, of handwork and labour that, that we, can't, we could do anything else about, uh, with it, like uh, early potatoes and things like that. But it's always a mix of, of, of work and we can't, we can't get it done. So we'll need people, and when we need people, we have to pay them, and we have to pay them, we have to earn more money, and we have to earn... You know, it's, it's, it's like a, a circle that, that never ends. And This is Jan Postels. He's the guy you heard at the very start of the podcast. Jan is a Grondwitloof farmer. He runs the Hof de Sute Grondwitloof farm with his wife Ingrid Dox in Herent, about seven and a half kilometres from the Proof town. So you see, yeah, the flowers are even almost gone. It, it's, it's a shame, but... Oh yeah, it's these little kind of blue, pastel... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Normally it's, it's all over with flowers. It's all blue, but the, it's, it's, so in, it's going so quickly last, the last year. So it's... Things are changing in such a fast way that we, yeah, we can't even follow. <laughs> Nobody knows what to do. But you see, normally, normally it's, it's all full of flowers eh, in, in this time of the year. And now they're already all done. Jan's parents had been Whitloaf growers in Bortmierbeek, a village eight kilometres to the north where he had grown up. 
Ingrid grew up in St. Catalina Waver, to the northeast of Mechelen, where her family traded vegetables. The couple started growing Whitloaf themselves in 1985. The most part of it, and that's 99.99%, is used to grow Whitloaf. And those, who were the best of the, of the whole gang, yeah. we have planted again yeah. to have seeds for the next season. Oh, so this process is actually about selection? This, it's all about, selection. yeah, yeah, it's all about selection. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's not necessarily about you need these immediately for the root. It's just that you want to have the best for the following year. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's okay. about selection. It's, yeah. it's all about gene- genetic uh, adaptitude to, to, to the climate, which is changing to whatever. So that's, that's our advantage on industrial uh, grown seeds because this is an every year construction. Every year again, we, we, have, we develop seeds from, from roots that have been grown the year before. So, th- so we're... we're really trying to, to get along with the, with the climate change. If, if I use seeds, for instance, the University of, of Louvain is busy to, to keep those seeds uh, in, in a container and, and, and um, to, to, to have them for, I'd say, 20, 20 years, something like that. And then they want to grow them again if needed. They won't fit. They won't fit because there's 20 years of climate change passed by. So the seeds of 20 years ago, they won't fit in the climate of now, they won't, they won't do. Do you see from your own experience farming this, the selection you made five years ago is quite different to 2020 selection? There is a difference. In but how it grows and the properties and the... And, and the resistance of dry, of, 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 the, of the, the lack of, of water. That, that's the most important... For now, it's the most important thing. Before, it was about, about the quality and about the, the length and the, and, and the thickness of the, of the, of the wheat loaf. And so now... I'm focusing on the resistance for the dry. Jan starts off by telling me about how Grondwitlo farmers are at the mercy of decisions by traders and large retailers. For instance, um, a few years ago, it might be 15, 20 years ago, there was a supermarket and they said, we have developed a new um, uh, verpacking. Um, um, packaging, yeah. Packaging. So... Instead of the, the Whitlow here grow now and, and, and they have a length of, of, of 12 centimetres or 15 centimetres, they should be next season only but 9 centimetres because we have developed a new packaging. So they, they changed the they changed, product for the yeah, packaging. Yeah, and they, is this a Belgian supermarket? Yeah, it's a Belgian supermarket. So they, so they, they tell the farmers, instead of growing 15 centimetres, you, you have to develop them on 9 centimetres. But that doesn't go overnight, you know. Of it course, takes, it takes it takes five, six, seven years to oh. to, to to change the the, the, the style of the Whitlow to so it, it's and what's the reaction of the farmers when they hear well, that we have we have to follow no we choice have, we have to be done have any choice and that's because of the of the disappearance of of, of all the small uh, shops in, in in all over the country so it's just a few a few big retailers that that tell us what to do and. and we have to we have to follow them because we, we, we it's our market. We we don't we don't have any input in the market anymore. In, in when we talk about the, the market fifty years ago, then we went to the the valing, how you call that the the, the, the auction, auction. Yeah, it's, is that right? Auction, yes, auction. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and there were, I'm gonna say there were three hundred farmers, and there were there were about fifty sixty traders. All Grombetloof. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were there were oh, five, six thousand uh, farmers of of love in, in 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 the seventies, eighties. Yeah, yeah. We are now almost a fifty, hundred fifty people who are still doing this. All all um, included included the, the hydroculture, but on, on the real ground stuff, uh, what will it be a hundred? 
allemaal? I had heard about how manual grondwitloof production was. Jan showed me some photos in a small PowerPoint presentation of the work he and Ingrid actually do during harvest. You see Ingrid cutting off the, the leaves as I showed you before, and that, that's what we do after three, four days. So that's, that's, that's manual for, for every root, cutting the leaves off? That's manual for every root. Uh, just the two of you? Just the two of us. How many roots are we talking per season? Per season? Or per harvest? Per season? Mm, 500,000? 500,000? That's a lot of work. It's a damn lot of work. <laughs> so you're, you're cutting the leaves off every one of those individually? Every one of those. Jan explains to me that one major advantage of the heritage seeds and the traditional way of growing in the soil over hydro production relates to the heart of the Whitloaf, a hard section through its centre. The smaller the heart, the softer the vegetable will be and the more desirable it is for culinary purposes. Because of the heritage selection, the slower growth, fewer available nutrients and the cooler temperatures as well as the manual kind of touch, the Brussels Grundwitloaf is well known for having much smaller and softer hearts than Whitloaf produced through hydro cultivation. So it's more in demand from chefs. Sometimes the heart is so big in hydro that it protrudes from the point, giving cross leaves at the top. You know, such a Whitloaf is considered very poor quality. Another advantage is that the point will always be tight and the head full when it's grown under the cover of soil as opposed to in hydroponic trays. In some cases in hydro, the sleeves are not tight and the leaves cross each other at the head. Then it's already there. And when it's real bad, it's right going through until here and then it comes out and you have so crossed, crossed uh, leaves uh-huh. in the top. And that's when you see very often with a hydroculture because hydroculture is not able to reduce the size of the of the heart when they start growing and this is our their youngest plant the heart is still something like that that's extra quality in hydro uh, wh- see, why, why do they start with with that they rather than because they are not able to 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 do to, to grow uh with love with a with a hard size of this you just they just can't because this Be- this is created by the manual touch uh yeah and because of the selection they make and because of they're not growing uh uh loaves under a under a cover of of uh of uh soil of or anything else by by is this something that the hydro guys would admit or argue with you about they can't argue with this because it's it's just it, it shows itself eh? when, when you take a hydro a hi, uh, a from hydroculture and you cut it through you'll have this yeah. and even even then there I'm curious to find out more about Jan's opinions on hydro okay so he believes the Whitloaf produced in soil is better quality than that produced hydroponically but does he blame the hydro farmers for trying to adapt uh first of all hydroculture is quantity if we produce, uh, I'd say, uh, a ton of wheat loaf, they will produce 20 ton for 50 ton that 
There is no, you can't compare the two systems with another because the way of, of growing the Whitlow is so different. The, the hydroculture is really on industrial base while we are on a tradition, traditional way, but, but it's, 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 it's something that, that does not fit anymore in, 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 in the way of, 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 uh, of doing things today. It's, it's, so the, in fact, it's something of the past. It's, it's, it's gone, you know. It's, it's, uh, when, we, when, we are, when we stop it and, and most of the farmers have an age of, of 60 or, or even 65, they, when they stop, it will be stopped all over. We, you won't find ground with love anymore. What concerns the money, it used to be really good, hydroculture. They've made a lot of money in the, in the 90s. Of the, but uh, nowadays they're suffering from the same problem as we are. They don't get paid enough. So they can go, go on producing, but they can't really replace their equipment in time. And that's, that's what is causing really trouble for them also, because when you can't replace their equipment and it's gone by in, in let's say, about 15, 20 years, it's, it's all over, it should be renewed all over again. And there's still, there, there simply is not enough money for it. But so do, do you see the, the growth of hydro in the sort of 80s? It's not going to grow. But do, do you see the growth of hydro in the 80s previously, in the, in the 1980s, as like having a really detrimental impact on the growth of Grondwitlof? Yeah, 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 absolutely. It almost killed it. Yeah, yeah, it, it killed it. And, but it started in the, in the 80s uh, when the hydroculture was coming up. Uh, it was said by, by those, by the engineers who have invented it. It's, they, they were claiming that it was going to ease up the work of the farmers, which of course it didn't. On the contrary, it, it, it obliged the farmers to keep on uh, growing Whitlow during a whole year instead of, of, of working by the seasons, as we did before. Uh, the hydroculture is, is growing Whitlow almost uh, around the year. So they do, it didn't improve the work of the, of the farmers, but what it did was kill the ground Whitlow because all of a sudden uh, the traders thought, felt that hydroculture was the future. So they were giving a lot of money for the hydroculture, which was coming up, but they forgot about all about the, the, the ground with love farmers because they said it's the past, it's, it's over. And they didn't really care about quality nor anything else anymore. It was just the name of hydro and the name of ground that, that were in opposite of each other. And, and the ground was forgotten, was, was over, and hydro was the, was the future. What we see now is that that nor ground nor hydro is going to make it for the next uh, 10, 20 years. So if things go on like they are going on now in, in, in the business, there won't be any Whitlow anymore within 20 years. Do you, like, did you ever consider moving to hydro at any point? No. Because, because hydro is a factory. No, more or less, you're in, an, in, a, in a warehouse in the dark for eight hours a day, every day of the week. And when I started here in, in, in the 50s, around uh, 85, I wanted to, 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 to grow ground with love as it was on a traditional way. I didn't want to wanna, wanna build here an, an uh, enormously huge warehouse and, and start a, a, a factory of, of, of Whitlow. So when things went bad for the Grunt Whitlow, we had decided to stop with it. Well, we haven't had Whitlow for more than 20 years, but no, uh, I was not interested never, never in considered. hydroculture. And 
is there a part of you that like resents farmers who threw away their grand loaf with loaf grand with loaf tradition and went for hydro? Is there, or do you understand no, no, it? No, no, I don't. I, no, the those people have done what was advised. Uh, for instance, for for to start with, for by by the engineer, by 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 the proof them, by whatever you want, because it was a new new way of growing with love. And maybe they were right. Maybe at that time I should we should have changed also. But there is a fact that when you change things, uh, most of of what you knew has to be thrown away. Yeah? And you become to depend on what engineers are telling you what to do. So when they started uh, hydroculture, there were a lot of problems with, uh, with the health of the Whitlow and things and that. You had to, to use stuff that you really don't want to use again now these days. So I, I didn't want to go along with that kind of working, with that kind of, of growing Whitlow. But you can't blame other people that they did because that's what was uh, mainstream. Are you starting to hear some parallels with beer? Think about Jan's words compared to the words of, say, Jean Van Roy of Cantillon. Using stuff you don't want to use. Innovations changing tradition. Being asked to change the name of his beers from Huse to Eau de Huse instead of requiring the new producers to use a different label. The fates of Whitloaf and Lambic appear to be very different, of course, but the arguments relating to Belgian cultural heritage and the preservation of food traditions are very similar and certainly not to be ignored. Is there any tension between the, the Brabant guys and the Brussels guys? Uh, well, the, the, I don't know. There is some, some friction between them, but it has more to do with the fact that, that uh, the traders are willing to pay more for the Brussels than for the Brabants because while the Brabant, Brabant, the people of the Brabant's Grand Love are saying, well, in fact, we are doing the same thing. But that's not true. We're not doing the same thing. So the Brabant's, <laughs> the, the, the Brabant's guys are like, oh, we, we're getting, you know, we're getting it from one side from the Brussels Grand and we're getting it on the other side from the Hydro guys. <laughs> so they're, you know, they're, it's Yeah, different. yeah, but, but uh, I don't think uh, that there is really a competition between the Hydro and the Grand Love because the, the, we are... They have been drifting apart along the years. And essentially, Grunt with Love is something else than Hydro with Love. Okay, so wait a minute. We've just heard how Hydro killed Grunt with Love. And now it sounds more like there's less beef between the Brussels Grunt with Love guys and the Hydro guys than there is between the two sets of Grunt with Love growers, Brussels and Brabants. So remember, the, the difference is that the Brabants guys are using commercial hybrid seeds whereas the Brussels guys are using their own grower selection lines. Both are growing in soil, but they're actually worlds apart. You don't have to... to, to, to you don't have any input in, in the hybrid seeds. Eh? You, you have to, to take whatever they are offering you. And one of the problems is that the, that the, the developers of hybrid seed are not looking to the ground with love. Eh? They're looking to the hydroculture. What the, what the, what the, the hybrid... Uh, uh, the, the hybrid seed is, is, is a product that is made for, for the hydroculture. And the Brabant's ground with love um, um, farmers are just using that seed, but it's not developed for, especially for them. If it grows... If, if they have... Uh, if they are able to, to, to make good with love of it, it's all right. 
but they don't know. They don't know. And do, do you find, do they find that sometimes there's, there's issues? Yeah, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. And the problem is, if it's bad, it's all bad because it's hybrid. So you, you, you definitely have more control. I have control. And I, if it's bad, because it happens to us also that we have bad with love, but if it's bad, it's still not wasted all. If hybrids are bad, they're all wasted. You can throw them all away because they are all the same. That's what, what the hybrid word means. It's all the same. I tell Jan that I've met with Jana Cornelis and talked about the project that she and Bram von der Poel worked on to establish a collection of heritage seeds with a view to trying to save Whitlow for the future. I asked him whether they approached him and Ingrid for seeds. They did approach us. But you know, this story is not new. I don't know what the idea behind it is, because when they say we want to preserve it for the, for the next generations, uh, in case things should disappear, well, if the farmers are disappeared, why would they still need the seed? Nobody's going to grow it. So that's, that's a, bit, a bit strange. And secondary, if they keep it for 20 years, the seeds of then won't be, uh, uh, how do you call it? Angepast, uh, uh, made usable, uh, usable in those years because we are twenty years later. The, the, the plant won't won't fit for the climate that is happening at that time. So the use the, the I in our idea, the only need for preserving those seeds is to produce hybrids. So, the, industri- so the the industry is asking for to 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 preserve our seeds because they need them in the next coming years. So do you think that it's the, it's Jana and Bram and the Proofstown and the KU Leuven that have the smokescreen, which is really just a, a commercial vehicle for big industry and hybrid seeds? Well, or do you think they believe they're... They're not, I don't think Jana and Bram are to blame. I think they're be, they have been used. By the bigger companies? By the bigger companies. To basically get get their hands on, on yeah, this, yeah, your, yeah, your seeds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She almost in the beginning asked me if I was going to do that. And I said, who's going to benefit of this? And I, I really think that she thought it was really like like they said, it was to preserve and, and because the species are, are getting lost and things like that. I don't think she saw what was going on. But of course, we know about what happened it's the same story all over again. Would the Brussels Grondwitloof guys give seeds to help generate better seeds for the Brabants Grondwitloof guys, you know, for the greater good of Grondwitloof? And why should we help our concurrents? That, that's the main question. And why should we help them? There's the, more, the more Brabants Grondwitloof there is, the less Brussels there will be and the less the chance is we're going to make good prices of it because we can't, we can't uh, grow enough quali- quantity to, to ensure a market working. So our goal should be uh, that the Brabant uh, Grundwitloaf uh, farmers are changing. They're going back to the Brussels Grundwitloaf, but they're not going to do that because it's a damn lot of work. But we're not going to help them to survive we have to survive ourselves. You see, there, there is a friction, but that's the reason why there is a bit of friction, because the better they're doing, the worse we're going. It's difficult. 
What does Jan see as the future for their farm and more broadly for Grondwitloof? There is an issue of quality. And so uh, I dare say that Brussels Grondwitloof is top of, of the quality that, that, uh, that we can produce. The Brabant's Grondwitloof farmers, their quality is going down. That's not me that says that. It's it's the traders themselves. They say that it's starting to look like the uh, like hydroculture with love. That's because they're using hybrid seeds, I presume. That's because they're using hybrid seeds. That's because their way, their their, their method of growing uh, ground with love. So when it starts to look like hydroculture, the difference between ground with love and hydroculture with love is getting smaller and smaller, which means that the prices for the ground with love are going are going down. So the, 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 the benefit of it is, is, is we're losing the benefit of, of growing ground with love because of, of the lack of quality. But that also means that the, the, the Brabant's guys are making it harder for you than the hydro guys are making it harder for you. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> That's the problem. Eh? You, you, you have the, the, the hydroculture is purely entirely industrial and they, they, are, they depend for their, for their uh, seeds from the industry. They depend for their for chemical weapons against a lot of things from the industry. They depend on the, on, of the auction of the traders for, to get their, their um, huge uh, uh, quantity of, of, of wheat love to, to get it on the market and things like that. They don't have anything in their own hands anymore. So, so do, we, do, you have, do, do you have kids? I have kids. What what age are your kids? Uh, they're 37, 38. Yeah. And have they expressed any interest? No, 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 no. My eldest daughter is, is talking about a CSA farm right now to maybe to start it up, but not, she's not interested in, in, in Grund with Love. Which you can understand because of the... Which I can understand. But that means that all these farmers, the 50, 60 guys that are growing Brussels Whitloaf, probably don't have kids who will take it on they don't have kids for sure to take it on so that means in another generation we don't have any ground with low farms the, i doubt it i don't have a glazed ball but do, do you believe in your heart of hearts that it, it won't exist anymore i it, think uh, yeah i don't i don't think it's gonna exist it's still gonna exist within 15 years 15, 20 years, I don't think it's going to last. So 20 in 20 years, years I, st- I will still be able to buy hydro Whitloaf. That depends on the market. I'm not sure they're going to be able to, to, to stay around. Because if you see the number of, of hydroculture farmers that are stopping right now, it's huge. It's huge because they, they, still, they simply can't find the money to, to, to renew their, their industrial equipment and things like that because the, the, the benefit of, of, of hydroculture is, is as bad as anything else in, in, in agriculture. So, I just want to get this right in my head because you're at the heart of it. You're producing it. You're in the community of people that grow with loaf. Um, that in 25, maybe let's take it further, 30 or 40 years, the hydro guys haven't renewed their equipment because they can't afford to. The margins are too small. It's just too difficult. The Grundwitloaf guys don't have anyone to pass it on to. It's very labour intensive. Are you telling me there's a possible future where there is no Whitloaf growth in Belgium? I think there is a bigger possibility that it's going to disappear than it's going to stay. Hi, Bram. It's uh, Brendan Kearney here. I was emailing you uh, 
during the week? Yes. yes. Do you have a second to, to, to chat now? Yes, I am. So this is Bram van der Poel, the professor at KU Leuven that Jana Cornelis was working with on the seed bank project. He took over the lab of another professor, now retired, called Maurice de Proft, who did a lot of work on Witloof. Bram kind of inherited a lot of this Witloof research from Maurice. Maurice is a, is a very smart plant scientist um, who has a a lot of very good insights uh, on how plants work, how they live, and how we can use that information to to improve uh, agricultural productivity. Um, I don't really know where his fascination for Whitlow came from. I'm sure he sparked mine. Um, so, uh, so did did um, he teach you when you were when you were an undergraduate? Not, yeah. Well, we got courses from him, um, and one of those courses we would. Uh, study the production of Witloff. So that was definitely something uh, that I was uh, taught by him during my studies in my master program. Um, but research-wise, I was not involved with uh, any chicory research. Um, so it was more when I uh, took over his lab, uh, there was the opportunity of uh, also taking over the, the line of uh, chicory research. And um, I would I would have thought that it would be a shame that uh, this... Uh, this nice uh, line of investigation would suddenly stop when Maurice would go on a retirement. So this was a great opportunity for me to uh, to continue this line of investigation. And, uh, and it's also because I have this uh, shared interest in this uh, this crop that, uh, that I took on this challenge. So it turns out that the previous project was carried out by Professor Maurice de Proft, did Bram know about this before he embarked on the new seed bank project with Jana? Yeah, when we started the project, I was not aware of this uh, this uh, historical event, but many growers they were still aware of it. Eh? So it was uh, um, uh, there was a previous attempt from Maurice uh, many years ago to also uh, safeguard the collection, and uh, he built uh, one of the biggest collections in the world. Um, and uh, eventually that collection got lost or got uh, um, got given to uh, Enza seeds. Um, I don't know the fine details of what happened in those days, but this was definitely a concern of some of the growers. Hey, like, uh, what happened with the previous collection? So I tried to get the previous collection and I was able to retrieve it that it's still in the presence of Enza. Um, but Enza informed me that they don't have any documentation about the collection anymore. So it's sitting there, but nobody knows which tube is which line. Um, so then the collection becomes, let's say, yeah, it's not very valuable anymore. Um, so that's as far as I could retrieve uh, the information on the collection. Um, it's pretty unfortunate the way it happened, I think, but I don't know why or how it happened in those days. Uh, I was not aware of this when we started the project, so we came across this uh, bump in the road uh, when we started talking to uh, some of the growers who could lively remember this. I mean, when you when you tracked down Enza, did you know was there any indication that the the, the transfer had been made, you know, because the university or maybe Modis couldn't um, safeguard or look after them in a particular way, or do you think there was some sort of a you know maybe of commercial angle that if the seeds could be transferred to Enza, perhaps the university could maybe get funding to pursue other 
worthwhile scientific um, pursuits. Did you get any, any sort of information about you know how that had, had happened? No, I have no information about that at all. Um, I I think when it happened, I was still a baby, so I don't know um, what happened in those days. What were the motifs to uh, to collaborate with Enza or uh, to put the collection in their hands? I, I have no idea whatsoever. I think this is something you'll have to uh, talk to Mariz about. There's only one way to find out what happened. And that's to track down Professor Maurice de Proft. Part three. A difficult harvest. I was doing fundamental research before and moving into the end of it was more applied research. I meet Professor Maurice de Proft at the KU Leuven, at the Faculty of Agricultural and Applied Biological Sciences. It's in the Lab of Plant Culture, located on the Willem de Groeilan in Leuven. I was for 10 years uh, president of the scientific community of the, of the uh, proof town in, in Herent. So, and I did it, uh, or I accepted that, for, just for the purpose of having a good connection with the growers and listen to the growers what they want, what their problems are, how how we can deal with it. That do grower do growers have a, a difficult relationship with scientists? You know, yeah, uh, some of them. Just in front of my conversations with with some of them, where um, there seems to be a mistrust. You know, um, mistrust. Yeah. Well, I think just just I think they question the motives sometimes of projects like the one that that Bram and Jana were doing. Maybe the ones that you've done in the past. What, what Bram did is something that I did 20 years before. I had the opportunity to collect some seeds from different growers here in the environment. I had something like 60 or 70 different sources, each of them two or three lines. So it was a quite substantial amount of seeds that I have stored. And to, to, to do this, at the beginning we did it with, with, with the potentials that I could generate here at the university, but that was not enough. I have asked the Ministry of Agriculture to support this project and said, no, we are not interested in it. So I stopped. I stopped doing it, but I had the collection as such. And then a seed company in the Netherlands came along and they said, well, we are interested in those lines and let's, let's grow them and see whether there is material that we can use in some breeding work. And so I offered them and said, well, yes, otherwise they stand here and they will stand here for years and nothing will happen to them. So please go ahead. And actually there are some varieties coming from the seeds that were offered from, from, uh, from here. So it's a matter of at the time... 20, 20 years before, so I'm talking in, in the 80s, yeah, from there, that I had those varieties. Nobody was interested. I said, well, okay, this is it. Maurice says he went to the farmers to talk to them about the possibilities of DNA characterization work on the seeds in collaboration with Enza, effectively giving them all more information on their heritage varieties. We had a lot of conversations of it's okay, we have collected all those seeds, what are we going to do with them? Are we going to keep them in a fridge for the, the years to come and that's it? 
or are we going to do something with it? And we agreed to do something with it in terms of let's characterize them. What is the production potential of those seeds? And that was the first project that we asked to the government and said, we're not interested in. So the purpose of uh, the so characterization you, you of had, the seeds. You so had these seeds and, and you, you asked, like, we have got these. This is a fantastic resource. Help us do something. And they were like, no. No, no. So you, you were that was, basically... That was, that was one issue. The government was at that time not interested in supporting anything to, to do this. Second thing was that the growers were not so much willing to use a, a seed from one colleague and another colleague and make a cross and see what the potential is. No, no, we don't want to do that. Between colleagues, eh? between endive producing colleagues. And, and there's not that many of them left either. Yeah, but at the time there were more. Uh, we are talking about the 80s. So at that time, they, they don't want to have this. We, we, we know that... Why do, you think, why do you think that was? Protectionism. Protectionism. We knew that certain growers had varieties or producing fantastic endive. But if you use the seeds from that grower and you give it to another grower, those endives were nothing. So it is the handling of the grower as such who is very important to get everything, all the potential out of that seed. And we wanted by making that type of, of research, growing the seeds from, from one grower with another grow, by another grower and then look at, at uh, what is he doing and what is he doing, what's the difference to understand, to optimize everything. We need to do this or we need to do that. After they came across this kind of stumbling block, one of the things that Brahmanyana did to try to encourage the farmers to give their seeds to the seed bank was to draw up a contract with the university's legal team that they would sign with the farmers. In essence, the contract would do two things. Firstly, it stated that Brussels Grondwitloof farmers who donated their grower selection lines to the seed bank would be able at any time, in case they were experiencing difficulties on their farm, to ask for samples of their seeds. And secondly, it stated that the seed bank was specifically for the purposes of preservation and prohibited Kai Leuven and the Proofdown from giving away the seed collection to any third party. I bring up this contract with Maurice to see if any similar agreements were made in his project in the 1980s. We did the same agreement and we said, well, you can always get your seeds that you have stored and put in the bank, in the seed bank as such. Yeah, uh, But... If a colleague of yours is also interested in having some of those seeds, he can also have a limited amount. Not, not a, a, a seed company, eh? also a grower who wanted to have and to try some of the seeds of another grower and without nominating him and, and, and things like that. No way, no way. Could w not wouldn't happen. Wouldn't sign up to that. No, and did. So among, among colleagues, eh? among endive producers. The way I wanted to, to handle this was to get them involved as much as I could, to explain them all the results, to explain them in detail what we did, what the result would be, what the target on the long term, short term, long term would be, how they can profit from it. But to understand this, you, have to, you, you must have a certain uh, education in science to understand this clearly. And 
in the 80s. I'm sorry, but that was not possible. I've heard such pessimistic views about the future of Whitlow from growers, but I wonder what Muddy's thinks for its prospects. Look at the market. In the 70s, 80s, endive was a very present vegetable in the market. And you have some lettuce and you have some green endives and that's it. Actually, look at the supermarket, how many greens that you have. And endive is one of them. So if endive disappears, who cares? You have, you have Lola Rosa and you have Radicio Rosa and you have other vegetables close to the taste of, of, of Whitloaf, so nobody cares. That's a good question. And, but isn't that, to be devil's advocate here, isn't that the kind of the, the opinion of a, an objective scientist who looks at the logic of what's there? Because some people would say, well, you know, Hesperolicus, ham rolls with, yep. with chicory whitloaf inside with mm. a cheese sauce mm. is a, a dish that's so emotionally connected to family life in Flanders and Belgium mm-hmm. that to change that and put leek in there or another vegetable which plays a similar role is is a massive change in sort of, you know, how family life is led and a, a sort of a, a change in what's happening from generation to generation. But who cares about this? People of 50 and older. The younger people don't care. So your 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 thing is like let's not be emotional about it and let's just let the let the the market and the farms decide what happens. That's what they do. That's reality. Is there not an element of yeah, but isn't it sad that we're losing a bit of you know what what Belgium had given us or what Belgium was like? Yeah, there is sadness. To me, there is sadness. Uh, in the in the 20s, 30s, we had a car company who calls Minerva. They were competing with Rolls-Royce at that time. Do you see any Minerva around now? Yes, you see some in, 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 in a museum. There you see a Minerva. It's the same thing. I mean, we have to be realistic in it. Bram and Jana did manage to finish their project. After putting the contract in place, growers of Brussels Grandwitloof were more open to a discussion about giving their heritage seeds to the project. Donations started coming in and Jana began processing. At the end of the project, Jana and Bram had managed to collect 504 different grower selection lines. Despite the funding coming to an end, Jana is still collecting today as growers continue to participate and bring in their seeds. Earlier this year, the Nationale Proofdown for Witloaf changed its name. No longer is there a reference to Witloaf in its title. It's now the Praktik.landbau Vlaams Brabant, the practical centre for agriculture in Flemish Brabant. Jana Cornelis is still employed there, working hard on Whitloaf projects, currently on one to study maximising quality parameters of Whitloaf at different phases, you know, in the field, storage of the root and during forcing. And Bram is working with her on the project, 
more optimistic than most about Whitloaf after meeting some young and ambitious farmers, as well as younger researchers like Jana Cornelis. It seems likely, however, that there will be no more growers of Brussels Grundwitloaf within 20 years from now. And if some still do exist, the Grundwitloaf will be available to buy in tiny quantities and only at very high prices, perhaps served exclusively as rare delicacies in expensive Belgian restaurants. Perhaps some growers of hydroponic cultivated Whitloaf will still be around, although dramatically less than now. Those that can afford to renew their ageing hydroponic equipment and maybe consolidate with other farms to streamline efficiencies in the face of plummeting prices and an ever-increasing array of vegetable alternatives in supermarkets. If Brussels Grundwitloaf does completely disappear in the next few years, at least there are Grundwitloaf heritage seeds sitting in liquid nitrogen temperatures of minus 196 degrees Celsius in chambers at the Kau Leuven. 504 diverse grower selection lines in total. For future agriculturalists, scientists, farmers and traders, they represent a time capsule into Belgium's past. Perhaps one day, those involved might agree on how those seeds should be used. Thanks again to Mike Kearney and Dave Wallace for the music in this podcast and to Leander Muris for technical assistance. I'm also grateful to Visit Flanders for their support in producing the podcast. And I'm also grateful to you. Thanks so much for listening. It would mean a lot if you could share this episode with someone you think might enjoy it. My name is Brendan Kearney. This has been the Belgian Smack Podcast. Until next time, love what you do. (laughs) 